Nuclear Hot Seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear Hot Seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear Hot Seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear Hot Seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when the nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, we take a look at the problems of the USS Ronald Reagan, the naval vessel that sailed directly into the worst of the radiation plume from Fukushima Daiichi. In the past, we focused on the plight of the sailors, who are undergoing catastrophic health issues and are currently suing Tokyo Electric Power Company for $1 billion in damages. But today, we're looking at it from the international perspective of the ship itself. We talk with Mr. Masahiko Gotu, attorney for the Japanese coalition trying to block the home porting of the Reagan in Japan as of summer 2015. And then we turn to Carol Jonko, a Southern California activist for the past 30 years, who gives us historic perspective and context to understand what it means to home port a nuclear-powered vessel, where the USS Reagan is, where it's going, and the issues on both sides of the Pacific, coming up in just a moment. Plus, numbnuts of the week, activist shout-out, the John Stewart Twitter campaign, and more nuclear information than most people know is out there, all coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, October 14, 2014, and here is the week's anti-nuclear news. As I record this, Typhoon Vongfong is bringing yet another round of torrential rains and wind to the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. Only last week, Typhoon Fanfong triggered alarms at the Fukushima plant and warnings of a leakage at Reactor 1 turbine building. A leak was then detected at Reactor Number 3, and radiation levels in the water surged by as much as 10 times to record levels. Tritium had a reading of 1.2 million becquerels. There were also increases of 70% in radiation in cesium around the plant to 68, as well as a spike that almost doubled the amount of radiation coming from cobalt-60. Now the government has issued inundation warnings for Fukushima Daiichi, and Typhoon Vongfong is expected to bring life-threatening conditions, including tornadoes, storm surges, and violent waves. Let's keep our fingers crossed on this one. Meanwhile, I stand corrected by Dun Renard, my favorite anti-nuclear fox. He pointed out that somehow I've gotten to saying 300,000 tons of radioactive water is leaking from Fukushima Daiichi into the ocean every day, when it's really 300 tons. Bad enough. It's the equivalent of 300,000 liters of water, which equals 3,000 tons in 10 days, and that equals the content of one Olympic swimming pool leaking into the ocean every 10 days with radioactive water. Since TEPCO admits to 300 tons, it's probably a whole bunch more than that, 
And of course, these numbers were from before the current torrential downpours from the typhoon. But even with all that bad news, it doesn't mean that Japan isn't the site of nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, none that sound a week. In Japan, property leases for many interim radioactive waste storage facilities in Fukushima Prefecture are set to expire as of this month. And guess what? Nobody wants to renew them. The government plan drawn up in October of 2011 stated that these sites would be closed in roughly three years. Yuck, yuck, yuck. We've seen pictures of those bags of waste piled up. Some of them even have plants growing out of them because the bags have so deteriorated. But this is what passes for decontamination work in Japan. Well, the Environment Ministry has begun requesting landowners of 64 temporary, put that in quotes, facilities that are being managed directly by the national government to extend their contracts. And they're saying, dude, you're out of your mind. In particular, the town of Kawamata, with nine interim storage sites that will reach the three-year mark by January of 2015, is set to demand that the national government remove the waste within the agreed-upon time. Yeah, good luck with that, because where are they going to put it? Meanwhile, the Kawauchi Municipal Government has asked the central government to take responsibility for any storage site lease extensions and explain the situation to residents, who undoubtedly will not be allowed to bring in rotten Fukushima irradiated vegetables to throw at the government representatives when they come in. All that radioactive waste. Ah, the eternal, and I do mean eternal, problem. Radioactive waste and no place to put it. And that's why the government of Japan is this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none that's out a week. Here in the U.S., California's top energy cop, Michael Peavy, has announced that he's going to step down from his post when his term is over at the end of December. After two six-year terms and the amount of opposition he has received, it's doubtful he would have been reselected for the role. However, By resigning on his own schedule, he still has power through December, which is long enough to vote on the multi-billion dollar bailout of San Onofre and other major utility issues that will be before the regulatory court in the next 75 days. Ratepayer attorney Mike Aguirre and Ray Lutz of the Committee to Decommission San Onofre are spearheading the call to Governor Jerry Brown to get rid of PV now. Based on evidence collected by activists, PV could face public charges that he engaged in a judge-shopping swindle for utility rate cases at the California Public Utilities Commission. In Plymouth, Massachusetts, four grandmothers who were arrested on Mother's Day for protesting at the main gate of Energy Corporation's Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station will be heading to court on October 17 to defend their action as a mother's responsibility to protect her children from the danger imposed by Pilgrim. Dr. Helen Caldicott, co-founder of Physicians for Social Responsibility and a Nobel Peace Prize nominee, will provide expert testimony on behalf of the four women. Entergy, give it up now. You haven't got a chance. 
Beyond Nuclear has been monitoring op-ed pieces around the country and discovered a new trend in nuclear spin-speak. My term, not theirs. The organization counted nine almost identical and equally erroneous articles under seven different bylines. Among the more notable linguistic substitutions, reprocessing of spent fuel is now referred to as recycling. Used fuel is considered to be valuable, not waste. And there is no link between reprocessing and nuclear weapons production. Lie, 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 they lie. Check out the full link at beyondnuclear.org. The echo chamber effect is really kind of funny, or it would be if they weren't trying to trick people into believing that nukes are good for people and the environment. Internationally, France has voted to be less nuclear-reliant, and they will reduce their share of nuclear energy in electricity supply from 75% currently to 50% by 2025. Sweden's radiation safety body, which oversees 10 nuclear power reactors, has announced a round of safety improvements to ensure core cooling in scenarios similar to those of the accident at Fukushima Daiichi. This action is seen as a direct result of the formation of a coalition government that includes the Green Party. Go Greens! And in a near numbnuts move, Canada, the country that wants to bring all of us a nuclear waste dump within one mile of the shores of Lake Huron, has mandated that nuclear operators in Canada be required to pre-distribute potassium iodide pills to protect all residents, businesses, and institutions in nearby areas where a plume from a radiation release would likely reach. Just think about that for a moment as you also consider that potassium iodide does nothing to protect the body from cesium, plutonium, strontium, cobalt, or any of the other radionuclides. Blame Canada. We'll have our featured interviews in just a moment, but first, Nuclear Hot Seat relies on your donations to keep us going and growing. My gratitude to those of you who donate when, how often, and as much as you can. And here's an invitation for those of you who haven't yet donated, or those of you who wish to do it again, to participate. If you find that Nuclear Hot Seat makes you think, laugh, helps you understand the nuclear issues, and not be so alone with your awareness. Help us keep doing it. Go to NuclearHotSeat.com, scroll down on the homepage, and click on the red Donate button. Whatever you can do to help, thank you. This week, we have two interviews from opposite sides of the Pacific Ocean, once again pointing out the true international nature of the anti-nuclear movement. Both are focused on the physical ship the USS Ronald Reagan, which sailed directly into the worst of the radiation plume from Fukushima Daiichi in the days immediately following the March 11, 2011 earthquake, tsunami, and start of the nuclear disaster. We'll receive context and history from an American perspective in a few minutes, but first, we hear from Mr. Matsahiko Gotu an attorney and one of the organizers of the Coalition Concerning Home Porting of the Nuclear-Powered Carrier Vessel. As you will hear, his town of Yokosuka is the site assigned as ongoing home port for the USS Ronald Reagan as of summer 2015. 
He spoke to us via Skype from his home in Japan. Mr. Gotu-san, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you very much for inviting me to your program. First of all, what is your professional background? I am the attorney at law working in Yokosuka City. And how did you become interested in and involved in the issue of the home porting of nuclear-powered naval vessels from the United States? Fifteen years ago, there is information that the U.S. Navy is planning to home port our city for the nuclear-powered carriers. That means we live with nuclear power plant in our city. So it's a very big problem. So that's why I became involved in this movement. When you say you live with the nuclear power plant, are you referring to the ones that are on board the ships that power them, or is this a separate reactor? The nuclear-powered carrier has two nuclear reactors. And that corresponds to one nuclear power plant. So that means uh, we live with the nuclear reactor in our city, very close to our residential area. How far back does the problem of home porting American nuclear-powered vessels in Japan go? Meaning, how long ago did this problem start? Fifteen years ago, we began our campaign, and the U.S. Navy announced this plan formally in 2005. Before the announcement, we pointed out that the Navy and the Japanese government surely have the plan, and we pointed out the risky uh, aspect of this plan. What was the response that you got when you pointed out the problems to the government? First, the government denied the existence of this plan. And next, the government neither deny nor confirm the plan. We pointed out the risky aspect of the home putting, but they continued denying the existence of the plant. And I think the government knows the dangerous aspect of this plant, but they prepared to introduce the U.S. nuclear-powered carriers to Japan because of the security problem. In September of 2008, the USS mm -hmm. George Washington was deployed to your home city of Yokosuka. Yes. How did they justify it, or what did they say, or did they say anything? The Japanese government formally announced that the U.S. Navy will deploy the nuclear-powered carriers in 2005, but our people and our city mayor was against the home putting of the nuclear-powered carriers. And the Japanese government justified the home porting. One reason is it's safe. And one reason is it is necessary for our security problem. 
we said it's a lie and it's not, it's wrong, but the Japanese government insisted the necessity of the nuclear powered carriers to Japan. You also have stated that the maintenance of nuclear-powered carrier vessels may be in violation of a 1964 diplomatic agreement between Japan and the U.S. What is the nature of that agreement? One agreement is not to repair the reactor in Japanese port. And another agreement is not to hold out radioactive substances from the carriers in the port. But after the deployment in 2009, the U.S. Navy began the repair work in our port and put out radioactive substances from the nuclear-powered carrier. And that's a violation of the, the agreement. And... The radioactive material was released into the environment? Not released, but the agreement was do not carry out radioactive substances from the carrier. They put it in the container and the crane takes the container to another vessel anchored at beside the carrier. It makes the risk of release of radioactive substances to the environment. That's the problem. You co-founded Coalition Concerning Home Porting of the Nuclear-Powered Carrier Vessel. Mm -hmm. When did you do so, and what is that group, and what sort of things has it been doing? It was founded in 1998, when we got the information that the U.S. Navy is planning to deploy nuclear-powered carriers to Yokosuka. First, we collected as many signatures as possible to the Yokosuka mayor. Yokosuka mayor is the key person to avoid the deployment of the nuclear-powered carriers. At that time, once the Yokosuka mayor announced that we want the deployment of conventional carriers, in other words, he is against the deployment of nuclear-powered carriers to Yokosuka. What kind of an impact did that have on members of the ruling party as well as the Ministry of Foreign Affairs? Mm-hmm. when those concerns were voiced by the mayor and, I presume, the coalition as well. It's a shock for the government and the officials of foreign ministry because once the mayor was make the attitudes against the deployment of nuclear power carriers, they could not make the home putting of the nuclear power carriers because... The nuclear power needs the dredging of the port. And uh, the mayor has the authority for the permission of the dredging in our port. So that was the reason the mayor was the key person for the home porting of the nuclear power carriers. And yet that dredging did take place, did it not? Yes, because the mayor 
has changed his idea due to the pressure of the Japanese government and other political groups. So that's the key turning point for the deployment of the nuclear powered carriers. It was two years before the deployment. After that time, we made our campaigns for two aspects. One is asking for the mayor to have the referendum for the deployment of the nuclear-powered carriers to Yokosuka. And we collected as many signatures for the referendum. Over 50,000 signatures in our city. But the mayor and the city council denied our proposal. And that was unsuccessful. Another campaign was the lawsuit asking for the court for injective relief for the dredging. 1,000 plaintiffs sued the Japanese government to stop the dredging work, but the court denied our motion. So that was also unsuccessful. It sounds like the Japanese government and the courts have been willing to bend over backwards to accommodate the U.S. naval vessels in port and the wishes of the United States government. Would you say that that is accurate? Yes, yes, uh, I, I suppose so. Now, how, if at all, has this situation changed since Fukushima? The public opinion drastically changed for our side. Before the accident of Fukushima, small part of Japanese people know the risk of the nuclear reactor. But it turned that many people came to know the risk of the nuclear reactor after the accident of Fukushima. So our town's opinion was much changed. Very much changed. In what ways did the attitude change since Fukushima? A lot of mothers who have little children participated in our campaign. They played an important role in our campaign. Since September of 2008, the vessel that has been home-ported in your city, has been the USS George Washington. But as of the fall of 2015, the USS Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan, which, of course, we've followed on nuclear hot seat, the law Mm -hmm. case and all the rest, but it's the Reagan that is intended to go into port. What are your concerns and what, if anything, is being done before the Reagan comes to address this intended Mm -hmm. home porting. We are very concerned about the deployment of Reagan in two aspects. One aspect is that there is no working nuclear power plant in Japan. And uh, it's a big issue that whether or not restart the nuclear power plant. And it's a national issue. This year, Japan has no working nuclear power plant, but still 
There is working a nuclear reactor in Yokosuka by the U.S. Navy. And the deployment of the Reagan means that the only nuclear-powered reactor works in Yokosuka continues. So it's a national big issue for Japan, but no referendum or no hearing or no debate was made in Japan. That's a big problem. So we would like to campaign in nationwide that the deployment of the Reagan corresponds to the restart of the nuclear power plant in Japan. The second aspect is that we have the information that the Reagan participated in the Operation Tomodachi after the accident of the Fukushima nuclear-powered plant. And due to the operation, a lot of sailors on board the USS Reagan was covered by the radioactive releases by the Fukushima power plant. And we know that over 100 sailors are now suing TEPCO in the United States court. And that case was not settled. The damage was so serious. We are now planning to visit San Diego to meet the victim lawyers next week. So that means that the Reagan is so contaminated by Operation Tomodachi. And once the Reagan will be deployed to Yokosuka, Japanese worker will repair the Reagan, and that makes the contamination to the Japanese workers and Japanese people. So the Reagan is not in good conditions uh, for radioactive aspects. But once the Reagan is deployed in our city, it makes a low-level contamination to our workers and to our people as well. That's the problem. With you coming to the United States, to San Diego and also San Francisco this week, what do you hope to accomplish with your trip? We will meet the attorneys for the TEPCO case and to meet the sailors and interview them and would like to know the serious damage by the Operation Tomodachi. Japanese people do not know the real situation, serious situation of the sailors. So we would like to get as much information from them and let the Japanese people know the serious situation of the Reagan sailors. And we would like to make the campaigns with them, not to make any more victims by nuclear reactor. What can the listeners of Nuclear Hot Seat do to help support mm. you in this work? First, I hope all the U.S. people know the risk of the nuclear-powered plant as well as nuclear-powered carriers. They have same kinds of risks. So we hope the U.S. people will make campaigns to abolish all the nuclear-powered plants as well as nuclear-powered carriers. 
Once the nuclear-powered carriers will make accident, big harm will be over your residential areas. If the United States will make decision to abolish all the nuclear-powered carriers, our campaign will be successful. Boy, do I ever hope that happens. Is there anything else that you would like to add that we haven't covered? We would like the United States people know that near the Yokosuka areas, there are a lot of risk of the earthquake and tsunami, as well as Fukushima power plant. In our residential areas, the high risk of occurring earthquake is reported. For example, 30% in next 30 years. So if the earthquake occurs, the same kind of accidents with Fukushima power plant will occur to our city, and it's a big problem. So we would like the U.S. people know that in Japan, There are many earthquakes occurring every day or every week, every month. So it is not good that the U.S. blows the nuclear-powered carriers to Japan. Well, we certainly wish the coalition concerning home porting of the nuclear-powered carrier vessel every success in your campaigns. Mm -hmm. We wish you safe journey over here to the United States and the achievement of your goals. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Masahiko Gotu-san, thank you so very much for being our guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Yes, uh, thank you very much. That was attorney Mr. Masahiko Gotu-san, representing the Yokosuka-based anti-nuclear group Coalition Concerning Home Porting of the Nuclear-Powered Carrier Vessel. Our second interview today is with Carol Johnkow. She is the Director Emerita of Peace Resource Center of San Diego, where she worked for over 30 years. Carol has been involved in anti-nuclear power and weapons issues, including the recent successful campaign to close the San Onofre nuclear power plant. She has visited the Far East to speak about her work three separate times, including stops in Japan, South Korea, and other Pacific ports to share her information with local activists. Carol John Cow, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here, and I really want to add an appreciation for all that you do. Thank you so much, and that is appreciated as well. So give us a little bit of background on the kind of activism you were doing that led up to your first visit to Japan on the nuclear issue. Well, I've been with the Peace Resource Center of San Diego for over 30 years. And being here in San Diego, I paid a lot of attention to what the Navy was doing, uh, looking at what ships were here. And certainly back during the 80s, we were concerned about nuclear weapons that would be on the subs and carriers and surface vessels here. We have just about everything here except the Trident subs, which, of course, carry the, the Trident missiles, the big city buster missiles. So I was paying attention to what was going on and how that fueled San Diego's role in militarism and what our global role was, and particularly looking at the Pacific 
Pacific because we are here on the Pacific. San Diego, in the Navy's own words, is the largest military installation in the world. Uh, our budget is tied very much to military spending here in San Diego. We have more admirals retired here on the island of Coronado than in any other place in the U.S. So I, I thought that that was a very significant issue for the Peace Center to address. And in fact, we did in about 1982 a slideshow that we showed publicly, took around places that uh, was based on San Diego's nuclear connection, uh, San Diego's nuclear harbor. When did you first visit Japan about the nuclear issue and what was your specific focus I had become involved with the Pacific Campaign for Disarmament and Security. We had a different name at that point in time, but there was a lot of activity uh, beginning in the early 80s dealing with the transiting of nuclear-capable ships, ships with nuclear power, going to various ports around the world. There was a, a worldwide network, and I had worked with folks in Japan uh, over the internet and telephone, primarily giving them information about the ships that were homeported here in San Diego. And for example, uh, we had several fast attack submarines here who had had coolant water leaks, reactor coolant water leaks here in the harbor. So I would send that information to Japan. And when those ships came in or subs came into harbor, the municipalities and the groups in Japan would inquire of the Navy about those issues. So it was really giving people in, specifically in Japan information about what the subs and ships actually were doing in terms of their transit paths, but also, you know, the ones that had uh, nuclear weapons on them. And at that point in time, there were the ASROC and SUBROC missiles based on surface and underwater subs that did have nuclear tips. And so we just shared that information so that they would have a good idea of what was happening in their harbor, what was coming in. And as you know, Japan has a very large anti-nuclear movement. They have a plank in their constitution about nuclear issues. And so this has been of great concern. So I had been giving that information and sharing with people in Japan and Right after the first Gulf War, I was invited to Japan to sort of talk about what was happening in the United States and, and sort of post-war, what we saw next coming down the road, and to talk about our connections. Because so many of the ships that go to Japan come from San Diego. What I did is I went over, I believe it was May of 1991, and I went to several uh, cities, but I think one of the most important cities I went to was Yokosuka, where we have subs and uh, we had aircraft carriers, non-nuclear powered aircraft carriers, one, home ported there at the time. And while I was there, I spoke at a rally that was opposing the presence of the base and the fact that there were nuclear powered ships there. I did a lot of interviews. I actually went out in the harbor in a boat that was sort of uh, looked to me like a rowboat, but it was equipped with a motor, and we had a uh, sound system, and one of the ship's 
that was coming back to Yokosuka was the Belle Isle Woods, which had been taking part in the Iraq War. And so I was out there talking to the sailors coming in on the ship, um, you know, asking them what they had done there and telling them the Japanese really didn't want them in uh, Yokosuka. And we did uh, attract attention from the police boats, which kind of bumped us around a little bit, but it was all good. It really helps to get a perspective on the fact that we didn't just invent an anti-nuclear movement either A, around reactors only, meaning the power reactors only, or B, that there actually was a robust movement that existed coordinated with Japan before Fukushima. That's very true. Um, I think that there have been ties, and I have hosted over the years groups of Japanese people, sometimes ones in municipal governments coming here to San Diego, and I would often go out with them and do a harbor cruise and sort of give an alternative tour, looking at the boats, talking about what the various ships do. We have a lot of hot spots here in San Diego Harbor with our own issues with the Navy. Coronado Island, where the aircraft carriers are all homeported, was once just a massive toxic dump for the Navy. And so we've worked a lot here in San Diego on that. But definitely there has been a lot of communication back and forth between activists here in San Diego and activists in Japan. And also in Okinawa, and I separate Okinawa out because of the issues of Okinawa having been annexed by Japan. And I've been to Okinawa, and one of my colleagues there was mayor of one of the cities uh, at one point. And several years ago, he came over and asked me to set up meetings for him with mayors here in San Diego and also Oceanside because they would like the helicopters, for example, that fly uh, into Futenma to be moved, to be taken out. So, you know, I've been able to help them come here to the United States and set up meetings for them. How have the issues or the angle of intersect with the issues changed and evolved since Fukushima? I think, you know, that, that Fukushima people want to sort of make it a a localized event, but in real terms, it's a world event. And certainly for those of us in the Pacific Rim, it's very, very challenging. And I have worked here at the issue of San Onofre, and I think when Fukushima happened, we were just all horrified at what happened and so concerned about the people there and sort of the ongoing risks of of contamination, you know, on a a kind of a more localized perspective, from a local view, the other thing that happened was the USS Ronald Reagan, which is homeported right now in San Diego, was near uh, Japan and was sent into Fukushima on a earthquake tsunami rescue operation. And because of the limited information and incorrect information, we now know that TEPCO was providing the Japanese government. The same happened with the U.S. government. And the sailors and pilots on this ship were exposed to the Fukushima radiation. 
you know, they sail directly into the plume. I've heard stories from local people, for example, about pilots that flew through the Fukushima plume, and then there was a lot of radiation on the ship. And so I think that that ship came back to San Diego, and we now know that many of the sailors on that ship have become ill. We've been covering that story very closely on Nuclear Hot Seat, including interviews with the attorneys, with Steve Simmons, and I actually traveled down to San Diego to cover one of the hearings about two months ago. So the listeners are familiar with that angle, but it's fascinating that you're now saying that there are pilots known to have flown through there who are perhaps experiencing negative health impact? Yes, correct. And, you know, in just my own conversation with the attorneys of you know, a lot of the, uh, some of the, the sailors that they are representing are very ill. I think the connection right now is the first we had a ship come back here that was supposedly cleaned, uh, you know, while they were trying to scrub down the Ronald Reagan. They did come into harbor. The contaminated materials that they had collected during their cleaning were still on the ship and had to be disposed of here in San Diego, and we don't know a whole lot about that. So that's an issue with us. And now the USS Ronald Reagan is scheduled to be transferred to Japan, to Yokosuka, in the summer of 2015. And this is of great concern to people there because they want to know really what happened. You know, is the ship still contaminated? Uh, I think there's a whole connection there that's ongoing with the Japanese people really not, particularly in Yokosuka, not wanting to accept these nuclear aircraft carriers because of the hazards that they pose. In the first interview I did with Steve Simmons, who was a sailor on the Reagan and is now permanently disabled and in a wheelchair, he spoke of a friend of his who was involved with the plumbing, with the pipes on the Reagan and elsewhere. And this individual, who was not named, said that once the radiation gets into the system, there is no way to decontaminate without removing all of the pipes and replacing with brand new pipes. And I do not believe that has actually happened on the Reagan. So the Japanese people in Yakuska and the rest of the country deserve to be at least on high alert that what's coming into their port may be carrying radioactivity that has not been contained. That is of great concern, and it's of great concern to me here in San Diego to know that that ship is still sitting here and that sailors continue to be exposed to that. And when we talk about pipes and releases of coolant water, we just get into these issues where the Navy does not tell us what is actually happening. You know, and so there's that great area of distrust of not knowing the degree of contamination that may or may not still exist. The sailors on the Reagan had originally been told that what they were exposed to, I believe, was just, you know, the same as an extra month of background radiation. But the truth is they were exposed to a lot of particulates and have become very ill. This is part of what's happening, I think, in Yokosuka with bringing this ship in, is they really want to know is that ship still contaminated by Fukushima 
radiation. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense with the problems going on in Japan with the ongoing exposures and risks to bring more. (laughs) Let's bring the Fukushima waste back. There's an issue there, just to begin with. And then there's always the issue of the nuclear-powered vessels and the, the likelihood of accidents with those. So the Japanese have not wanted nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. Carol then made an important point about the problems of home-porting nuclear vessels in San Diego. The whole issue here of having this huge ship with two reactors, and if there was an accident, and the Navy said, well, if there is, we'll just move it out out of the harbor, but we know it can't go out unless it's low tide. You know, so that, so there are issues like that that are, are still looming over us here in San Diego. We were the host then for nuclear-powered aircraft carriers, but then the Navy started talking about doing the same in Yokosuka Harbor, the base there, to expand their pier to be able to host a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier. And that indeed happened, which led to the George Washington going there first in 2008. That was the first nuclear-powered aircraft carrier to be homeported in Yokosuka. And now the Reagan is slated to be there in the summer of 2015, next summer, less than a year from now. That is correct. We've already spoken here on Nuclear Hot Seat to Mr. Goto, who is the attorney with the Yokosuka protest group. And he's about to come here to the United States to meet with the Reagan attorneys. I believe you have a meeting with him. What do you hope to accomplish in your time of speaking directly with Mr. Gotusan and other representatives of the Yokosuka home porting coalition? that is protesting the ships coming in? I've uh, met with Mr. Goto before, both in Yokosuka, working on these issues with groups in Japan, and he has been here before. He came to San Diego along with some other, another colleague to do research on the whole issue of the dredging of the harbor and the the expansion of the pier, they looked at all of our lawsuit materials to see what kind of information we had been able to get from the U.S. Navy about what the whole process would be, what kind of things to look at. And I think that was very helpful to them in terms of trying to stop it in Japan. But, you know, U.S. national security always seems to trump environmental and health concerns, unfortunately. I think that having Mr. Goto here in San Diego, we will be discussing what we know here in San Diego uh, about the sailors and also about the Ronald Reagan and any possible contamination. And I think that, again, it will be a, a strengthening of our ties Uh, with this network that we try to maintain with this group in San Diego and groups in Yokosuka. I have heard that through, I believe it's the Naval PR Department, they have actually arranged tours of the USS Reagan for school children. 
which is horrifying enough as a thought for the exposure to what's probably the radiation level. I'm wondering if we have been able to either get some activists on tour there with radiation meters in their pockets or whether you're going to be able to arrange such a tour for Mr. Goto-san when he is here in America. It's not possible to get very close to the ship unless you're allowed on base. I wish that we had been able to do that. We could still work on it, but I hadn't heard of the tours of school children. That's rather appalling. I do know, you know, that San Diego has, let me just say that the PR machine here in San Diego is very strong in terms of bringing children and others to various vessels you know, to familiarize them with them and to uh, sort of make us think that this is all normal. I would be very appalled to hear, you know, that young children would be taken on that boat. So it doesn't sound like that's going to happen, but it would be very interesting if somehow a tour could be arranged that includes an activist with a radiation meter just to see if anything shows up while walking around the deck and being shown the wonders of the U.S. nuclear naval fleet. I would enjoy that. (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask you, how can U.S. activists help or support this work that is going on between you and other activists in the U.S. and those who are protesting the home porting of the Reagan in Yokosuka? One of the issues that comes up these days, particularly with activists from Japan, is they really don't always understand that there's not a huge outcry in places like San Diego about the presence of the Navy. I'll get calls from Japan and they'll say, like, tell me who to talk to in the anti-base movement. And I have to say that it's a low focus right now here in the United States. We've been, uh, for the last 10 or so years, well, more than 10 years, just faced with perpetual war. So the anti-base movement in the U.S. has kind of dwindled to a certain extent. There's a very strong movement up in Washington State around the Tridents. But here in San Diego, where the military is responsible for about 19% of our economy, and we have so many retired military people here or people in the service, it can be very hard sometimes to keep any kind of continuous movement against it here. And part of what comes up is, you know, I can remember people saying to me, well, what do you think you're going to do, Carol, get the Navy out of San Diego? I don't think that's a real possibility. I think that the key thing that activists here in the United States who live around bases can do, particularly naval bases, is to share any information with people in Japan about what is going on at their own base. You know, when things come out in the newspaper articles, we just look at it and and say, oh, situation normal. But what the information we get here is not always available to people in Japan. So I think that that's very important. And we really need to keep up the issue of the nuclear navy Particularly, why do we need a nuclear navy? Uh, there have been so many issues around that. And one of our fears, of course, is that with the whole issue of climate change and the navy trying to move away 
from diesel-powered vessels that there may be a movement towards more nuclear, and we would not like to see that happen. Last week, I interviewed Dr. Caldicott, and she talked in part about the next symposium that she is producing, which is going to be February 28th and March 1st in New York. And this one is going to be on nuclear weapons. And I believe in the list of presenters, I can't recall the name right now, I don't have it in front of me, but there will be some presentations dealing specifically with the military and with the nuclear Navy and some of the dangers that that faces. So you might want to give the people from Yakuska and others in Japan who you're dealing with a heads up that that will be coming down down the line it will undoubtedly be live streamed and of course if she does what she did with the last symposium there will be a book that comes out within a year as well i have a copy of the book that just came out as um, do i and i am going to be sharing that book <laughs> with mr goto and his colleagues uh, i don't know the degree to which they're familiar with it but if they're not i will certainly be handing them my copy I was recently at a meeting with um, some West Coast and East Coast activists who have focused on nuclear weapons for a long time, and our consensus is that things are worse than they ever were around that issue, but it seems to gather less attention from people. And one of the challenges for us is how do we alert younger activists coming up and with so many challenges, uh, particularly climate change and different things going on that are capturing people's attention, how do we get that word out that nuclear weapons continue to be an issue? I'm glad to have this heads up myself about this, and we'll certainly be sharing that information with people in Japan. I'll track down the details about that, but that might be something for them to send someone out. Well, Carol, if you want to know more about Dr. Caldicott's symposium, the one that's coming up on nuclear weapons, I don't know if anything is published yet, but you can certainly listen to Nuclear Hot Seat number 172, which was last week's show, where she goes into quite a bit of detail, including a list of all of the confirmed presenters. And it was a stunning coup because I don't think anybody else got that information. We got it first on Nuclear Hot Seat. Well, you do that a lot of the time, and that's great. That's a great service for us, and I am definitely going to follow up on this. Uh, maybe we'll, hopefully we'll be able to send somebody from San Diego also and share the information with our Japanese colleagues. Carol Jankow, thank you so much for all the work you've been doing for all these years, and I am especially pleased that you were my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. My pleasure. San Diego-based activist, Carol Junkow. Hey, if you'd like a good read, Yes, I Glow in the Dark, One Mile from Three Mile Island to Fukushima and Beyond, fits the bill. It's available as an ebook on Amazon Kindle, filled with unexpected twists, turns, and horrors, just in time for the Halloween season. And by purchasing it, you'll not only get a great read, you'll also be helping to support the work of this show. I think I forgot to mention that I'm the one who wrote it. Activist shout-out. My attention can always be captured by a Facebook post that starts out, So Ralph Nader called the other day. It's especially gratifying to find out that Ralph Nader was calling veteran anti-nuclear activist Michael Marriott, former executive director and current president of Nuclear Information and Resource Service, or NIRS. 
Nader was telling him that Michael is going to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Carnegie Institution in Washington, D.C., given by a coalition that includes NEARS, its sister organization WISE, which stands for World Information Service on Energy, as well as the Sierra Club, Friends of the Earth, Clean Water Action, Physicians for Social Responsibility, Public Citizen, and many more. If you're on the East Coast and want to join in to celebrate Michael, the event is set for November 10th. There's going to be a big party, and Michael hopes that his many friends will join him there. If you want to be invited, send him an email at nearsnet at yahoo.com. Meanwhile, Michael, muzzle tug. Hey, John Stewart, nukes aren't going away anytime soon. Shucky darns. So it's time that you acknowledge the field and our perspective, much the way John Oliver already has, though he went after weapons. You can still trump him on reactors and general nuclear numbnutsery. Get in contact with Nuclear Hot Seat, and you, too, can have your own nuclear pundit. That would be me. Or pick someone else. But just do it. Here's today's final thought. I'm sometimes a little slow in catching up with TV programs, as I don't own a TV, so I watch shows on the Internet or courtesy my local library's DVD collection. So I just got a chance to watch House of Cards, the Netflix series starring Kevin Spacey as a governmental sociopath who, thus far, has risen to vice president. What I found fascinating was a subplot involving a billionaire seemingly based on a cross between Warren Buffett and Charles Koch. This man owns multiple nuclear power plants and needs rare earth minerals located only in China. When some high-level negotiations with China break down, you get to see how he throws his nuclear-backed weight around to manipulate our country's international policy, at one point threatening to shut down two nuclear reactors during a heat wave if he doesn't get his way. The character of the president even refers to the nuclear industry as filled with, quote, the richest of the 1%. I found the show fascinating because it was honest about the power wielded at the highest levels of government by a cold-blooded nuclear sociopath. House of Cards, first season. Get the DVDs at your library. I think you will enjoy it. In closing, this has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, October 14, 2014. Material for this week's program has been researched and compiled from enenews.com, Reuters, AccuWeather, Japan Times, TEPCO, GG Press, Japan Meteorological Agency, NuclearNews.net, Asahi, DunRenard.wordpress.com, Committee to Decommission San Onofre, Cape Cod, Downwinders.org, Beyond Nuclear, AsiaOne.com, ABCNews.go.com, MarketBusiness.com, The Sociopathic Spinmeisters at World Nuclear News, and the ever-popular and remarkably good-looking Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook community. Join us, friend us, tweet to John Stewart about us. Theme music written by me, sung by Marilee Weaver. Nuclear Hot Seat is syndicated by UCY.tv and is also available on AirProgressive.com. Our archive is available on iTunes. You can subscribe under podcasts or check out the searchable website, nuclearhotseat.com. Nuclear Hot Seat is the activist voice on nuclear issues. So if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. 
Copyright 2014, Lee B. Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed for not-for-profit groups, blogs, and websites. You have my permission to reuse this material as long as proper attribution is provided. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now don't go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat, it's the bomb.